And can we welcome the amazing, talented, and handsome Simon Holly, who's going to come and speak to us this morning. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Phil, for that uh, endorsement. The guys have been busy over the summer. Look at the size of this mini stage. It's like huge. Having fallen off the last one almost several times over the last six years, I'm, I don't know what to do with the space. I just, I'm attracted to the edge because it's just so far away now. We have had a great summer and it's great to be back with you. And also it is brilliant to welcome, we have some other Hollies living in Bedford now. My nephew and his new wife, Bruce and Beth are over there waving. So welcome those guys. They've just got married. Both moved to, to Bedford, new job, so welcome them into our community. It's great to have you here, guys. They, they, I don't know why they're not sitting with us. I think they do like us, but I mean, it's, uh, anyway, we sort that out afterwards. Uh, who wants to sit on the front row exactly, Caroline? Uh, um, so we've had a great summer, and uh, we uh, went away, and one of the things that we did as a family this summer is we all learned to water ski. Yeah, see? Yeah, yeah, I've grown in your respect already, haven't I? Some of you only just met us. Uh, Caroline actually had done it a long time ago, so she was a refresher for her. I'd done it once before, not so successfully. And so we decided we were going to do it. And I, I, I learned a little bit about ambition, actually, during the process, because the first time I went out, my ambition was, Lord, just don't let me break anything. <laughs> I just want to survive this experience. No broken knees, twisted angles. I just want to survive. But after going around one time, a few times in the drink, I must admit, the second time around, my ambition had grown. It was, Lord, don't let me face plant embarrassingly close to the dock. I just want to preserve my dignity. I mean, I'm like this, you know, but I just want to preserve my... And then the third time, uh, third time out, my ambition had grown again because this time it was... I just want to go wide on the boat and leave one of those sprays behind, you know, like you see on the movies. I just want to... So my ambition was growing each time. And then we were talking over meals and stuff, and, and Caroline had said that when she was kind of surfing as a kid, there used to be this guy who would wave at people as he, he could take one hand off. And so fourth or fifth time round, my ambition was now, Lord, I just want to wave at people as I go past. So the boat swings round. And so the boat making an approach, as I come in, I'm, I'm there, I've got good posture, and they're there on the dock, and I, I lift a hand casually and wave to the onlookers. I do my hair. Put some more suntan lotion on. And then I'm like, whoa! That's more difficult than it looks. So, but we learned successfully to water, water ski, which was great. And um, it taught me about ambition. And as we go into this new term, I want to talk to you a little bit about ambition because I wonder what your ambition is. My ambition in so much of life is just, God, let me survive. Anyone else have that ambition? You have a week where like, I just want to get through the week. I want to raise kids that don't kill themselves or anybody else. I just want to get through this life. I just want to survive. But I want to say to you this morning, our ambition has got to be more than that. You know, we all have seasons, don't we, where it's just survival. We're just like hanging on, just get me through. But we can't, we can't stay in that place. You and I, as followers of Christ, were born to change the world. Our ambition is to see this world transform. This world is not as it's meant to be. And our ambition has to be bigger than just survival. It has to be, God, I want to change the world with you. I want to partner with you on your mission. Is your ambition coming from earth or from heaven? 
Where's it coming from? Because if it's just from earth, it will be about survival. It will be about the next thing of getting through. But if it's from heaven, it will be about the transformation of this planet, of this society, of this country, of this town. We are born to change the world. And we've got a vision in this community of building a church that just produces people that naturally change the world wherever they go. And we've got an ambition to produce other churches that do the same. Imagine this country, this, this, uh, imagine our continent, imagine this world filled with churches that just produce people who change the world around them, who make the world a better place, who bring hope and life and healing. That's our vision. That has to be our ambition. And you know, I feel like the Lord is, is on this and the word that Phil brought in the worship. But also, uh, last year for us as a family was a little bit like survival. We were just getting through. And one of the things that really spoke to us in that season was the heron. We had a, a, a heron appear in our garden and numerous other places. We knew the Lord was speaking, and I've told the story before, through this heron. Because the heron is a symbol of patience. It can wait by the side of a pond, and then it can wait there all day, and then it will just clear the pond in one fell swoop. It just is a, it's a lesson in patience. Those of you who know me know that I needed a lesson in patience. <laughs> so I had one, and we've really learned and grown in our, pat- in our patience in the last season. But this summer, we saw uh, another heron in, the, in a pond while we were away. And as uh, Caroline went to get another photo of it, as she was walking around to get a better shot, she asked the Lord, God, are we still in the season of patience or is something else happening? And as she said that, the heron stuffed his head in the water and pulled out a massive fish and just swallowed it straight down. And I just feel like the Lord was speaking to us as a couple, but also as a church family about that. That yes, patience is going to be important, especially for me. Patience is going to be important, but actually this is a season of multiplication. This is a season of fruitfulness. This is a season of life flowing out of all that God's put into us, into the community around. How do we change the world? How do we live lives that are more than just survival, that are thriving? How do we get through, not just to, get, uh, to, to live in our workplaces, but change them? How do we do that? And I'm again and again brought back to the, to the life of Jesus and how he did it. Very simply, very humbly, how he changed the world. Luke 19 is where I want to start today, looking at this story. And it's a story of Zacchaeus. Many of you will be familiar with it. Some of you, it'll be the first time you've heard it. Let me read it to you. So Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. And there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector in the region and he had become very, very rich. The reason was uh, Jericho was like a, a, a town where numerous thoroughfares went. So all of the goods for the region went through it. And so, of course, the people who were in charge of collecting taxes on those goods were making an absolute fortune. Zacchaeus was one of those guys. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. Now, just a note, people in Jesus' day were between somewhere between five foot one and five foot seven. The average height was somewhere like that. So that meant that Zacchaeus must have been under five foot. He was a short guy. So if you hear nothing else from this message, the point is this, Jesus loves short people. <laughs> it's profound, I know. Just turn to the person next to you and say, Jesus loves short people. I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> If you've always considered yourself a little bit vertically challenged, then be loved this morning and know that if you're under five foot, Jesus loves you. There you go, your life's been changed already, hasn't it? So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. 
When Jesus came by, he looked at Zacchaeus and called him by name, Zacchaeus, he said. Now, this must have been a word of knowledge. He'd never met him before. So God gave, the the father gave Jesus his name. He knew his name and called him down. Quick, come down. I must be a guest at your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled, basically because he was ripping them off. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I'll give half of my wealth to the poor, and if I've cheated people of their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Now, this wasn't going to be where I was going to start. But there's a number of things that come out of this passage. But actually, the main thing the Lord wants to speak to us, and I know this because I was awake most of the night, him saying to me over and over and over again, was this. Jesus was submitted to be sent. And I had that phrase running through my head all night. Jesus was submitted to be sent. Jesus was submitted to be sent. What does that mean? What he says is this, right at the end of that passage, For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. He came with a mission and everything in his life was submitted to that mission, which to seek and save those who were lost, those who were disconnected from the Father, those who had lost their connection with God himself. He was sent to save them and everything in his life was submitted to that purpose. He was submitted to be sent. And more than that, in John 20, he says to us, He says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So as he was submitted to his Father, he's asking, will you follow me and be submitted to me and be sent in your turn? Will you go and seek and save those who were lost? And the question I'm asking myself, having been awake most of the night hearing that phrase is, am I submitted to be sent? And I think the honest answer is, partially. Anyone else answer partially? When I start to think about it through that lens, am I submitted to be sent? Such an unusual phrase, isn't it? Am I submitted to be sent? The honest answer is partially. Have I aligned my whole life around that call? The answer must be partially. You know, the the story, uh, the summer, a number of us went away to a conference and we heard Heidi Baker speak and... uh, uh, she shared a, a story. I wasn't in this session, but the team fed it back to me. And the story was this. She was going to a meeting one time, and she was really, really late for the meeting already. And then she sees a blind beggar beside the road. Heidi lives in Mozambique. They've planted thousands of churches. There are blind people and beggars everywhere. So it wasn't an unfamiliar scene. But she sees this particular lady, and she's kind of drawn to stop. But then she's thinking, I've, I've, got to, I've got to go. I'm late already. I've got to go. And she has a moment of what she called repentance when she said, I had to decide, am I going to live by this or am I going to live by this? (laughs) Am I going to live by this or am I going to live by this? That's profound in itself. And she said, Lord, Father, I don't want to live by this. And this is helpful, but I don't want to live by this. I want to live by this. And so she stops for this lady and she asks the lady, what's your name? And the lady says, I don't have a name. And Heidi says, what do you mean you don't have a name? And she says, well, nobody's ever given me a name. She says, nobody's ever given, that doesn't make any sense. So she began to ask the people around, what is this lady's name? And they all agreed, she doesn't have a name. We don't know her name. No one's ever given her a name. So Heidi says to her, can I give you a name? 
and uh, she gives her uh, a name, something to do with joy, I can't recall exactly, uh, something to do with joy, and then she puts her arm around her, and she just begins to sit there and hug her. And this blind lady, whose eyes were completely white, as she hugs her and holds her, her eyes turn brown, and she can see again as God heals her. <laughs> Profound story. But it's that reality, isn't it? Are we submitted to being sent to find those who are lost, who are lost in this world? Are we submitted to being sent? Because when we are, it changes things. I guess, firstly, it changes our identity. We've got to decide, am I worthy being to be sent? <laughs> There's an identity piece in there, isn't there? We've got to realize, if I've been sent, then the one who sent me must think that I'm worth being sent. Anyone? <laughs> Someone's got to pay for your ticket, so you've got to decide you're worth being sent before you can ever really go. You've got to decide, he is chosen me to send me that's a that's a whole another story there's an authority piece isn't it I mean I remember when my kids were, were smaller I would send one of them to do get the other one to maybe come in from the outside or come and see me or whatever and I would say go, go and tell so-and-so to, to come in and they, and they would go and they would come back a few minutes later and say they're not coming they won't come <laughs> and I would say you go and tell them dad has sent me to tell you to come inside and their chest would puff up a little bit I'm on a mission, and Dad has sent me. So they would go into the other room, and I would sometimes overhear the conversation. They would say, you've got to come, in, you've got to come inside, or you've got to come in the other room. And the voice would come, would come, I'm not going. I don't want to go. I'm busy. And they would say, Dad has sent me to get you. Oh, all right. <laughs> and then the two of them would, would come back. Some of you are facing work this week or school this week. There's a bit of a groan in your spirit. Are you going back to work or has dad sent you? Are you going back to school or has dad sent you? Submitted to being sent. When, when we are submitted to being sent, it, there's an authority piece, isn't there? There's something that changes in our, in our demeanor, in the way we think, in the way we act, because we realize, no, I'm not just going back to work. I'm not just going back to school. Dad has sent me. He has sent me here. Have you been submitted? Have you submitted in your heart to being sent? And, and Jesus, when we think about it through that way, he aligned his whole life under this submission to being sent. It, it, it changed who he was looking for. You know, I, we talked about it before the summer. Jesus spent his time training his disciples to look for the person of peace. He sends out the 72, two by two. And he says, when you go, I want you to find the people who welcome you in. I want you to find the people who offer you something to eat. I want you to find the people who listen to you. Those are the people. And Jesus calls them the people of peace, a son of peace, he calls them. It's an important thing for us, I think, to learn, recognizing if we're submitted to being sent, then we're sent to who? We're sent to find who? We're sent to find the one that God has prepared already. The ones who are, have got peace in their hearts, the ones who are not happy with this world, the ones who are crying out for something different. They don't perhaps even know what they want or what they need. And some of you might be that here this morning. You might not know Jesus yet, but you're here because you're intrigued. There's a hunger. There's something you think, there's something, I need something. And if that's you, then you're a person of peace. And Jesus says, our job is to go and find them. And how we find them is we find them because they welcome us, they perhaps serve us, they listen to us. There's a connection there in the spirit between us. When we find those people, Jesus says, stay with them. Stay with them. We, as a family, have started to do this because we realize this isn't just about us on our own. This is a family on mission together. And so over breakfast or dinner, we began to talk about who are our people of peace 
Who are the people in our lives who welcome us, listen to us, serve us? And we've got a, we've got a list which we've written down and we put it on the inside of a cupboard because it would be awkward if someone came and there was name was there. Uh, so it's the inside of a cupboard. We've got the list of names that we're beginning to pray together for our people of peace because we're in this together. We're praying, we're asking the question, what's next for that person? How can we bless that person? How can we engage and connect with that person? How can we stay with our people of peace like Jesus taught us to do? I've got a friend who loves guitars and, and his business is around finding new guitars and he's always finding new guitars. He's got tens of guitars and he's always getting new guitars in and finding new guitars and people even bring him guitars because they know his mind is around guitars and, and, and that's what he, he, he wants to get. That's what he wants to bring in. That's what he's after. My son was over at the house the other day and he came back. He's like, Dad, I'm saving up for a guitar. I was like, oh, which one? He showed me this guitar, 5,700 pounds. Like, oh, I know who you've been with. I know who you've been with. <laughs> saving up, Dad, for a five grand guitar. His focus is around guitars. That's his business. That's what he does. Is that the same for each one of us? Is our focus around the people of peace? Such that, so when they come on our radar, whatever we're doing, we stop for the one because we want to be connected to this. I'm preaching this to myself as much as anybody else. If we're submitted to being sent, it will change who we go to. It will change what we're looking for. You know, Steve reminded us in this month's preview that three of our new staff members were all once those people. They didn't know Christ and someone stopped for them and they've given their lives to Christ and they've now come into the family, been baptised, been added, learned about Jesus and now they've been commissioned, released to lead in the community. That's the beginning of this term. There's something prophetic for us in that. There's something prophetic there. God is speaking to us. There are people who are our friends who we don't even know yet who are out there and they're just waiting for someone to stop for them. They're just waiting for someone to reach into their world. Notice that, that Jesus it changed where Jesus went because he was submitted to being sent. It changed where he went. He went onto Zacchaeus' turf and we've made this point probably before, but the reality is very often as believers, we want to invite people into our world, come to our meetings, adjust your schedule. What, if someone's changing their time and going to a, different, a place that they've never been to before, who's being the missionary? <laughs> Them or us? The reality is Jesus went on to Zacchaeus' turf. He invited himself into his home. The foundation of their relationship began where Zacchaeus was comfortable, not necessarily where Jesus was comfortable. When I'm submitted to being sent, it changes where I go. And Jesus so, so modelled that. And, and the reality is you learn from this, how comfortable are we at asking for help? How comfortable are we? Because the danger can be that being sent, we feel like we've got to have it all together. We've got to have all the answers for the world around. And this is about us as Christians fixing other people's problems. But Jesus didn't model that, did he? The woman at the well, please can I have a drink? Zacchaeus, can I come and I need someone to eat today? Can I come to your house to eat? There's something of the humility of opening our hearts and saying, I need help. I need help. We had an incredible year like that last year where we as a family were in such need. I, I remembered a story from uh, 15 or so years ago where I had bought my very first car. No, it's probably 20 years ago. I bought my very first car and it was a white Vauxhall Nova and it was a machine of beauty. 
and I bought it and I paid good money for it, all the money I had, and I brought it home late one night. I parked it in the drive. I went up to the bedroom. In the morning, I pulled the curtains and I looked down. And I thought, who parked that rust bucket on the drive? And I, I was like, that can't be the car I bought last night. And I ran down and I realized, lesson, never buy a car in the dark. Uh, it's simple for some of you, but some of us have to learn the hard way. Never buy a car in the dark. Because what had done, they basically sprayed straight over the rust. And it was already kind of pouring through, but I'd not seen it. And then within a few weeks, the engine had started to pack up. And I learned from another friend, oh, yeah, you, basically that whole engine needs to be stripped down and rebuilt. And I was like, ah. And so I was at work, managed to get there just about... I was talking to a guy in the, in the office and I said, this is a nightmare, I've got no money, the engine needs to be re rebuilt. He says, I'll help you. I was like, have you ever done it before? He's like, no, but it can't be that difficult. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a little bit difficult, but we managed it. We sweated blood over that car, but there was a connection built and it came out of a place of my vulnerability. He was asking so many questions. We began a friendship. He asked so many questions about the Lord. He came to Alpha. There was a connection built. I don't know if he ever came through the faith in Christ because I had to move away, but there was a connection built there. There was a journey begun. But it started not out of his need, out of my need. Out of my need. But you know what? As I was preparing this message, the, Lord, the Holy Spirit said to me, give them some examples. And I could think of two in 20 years. <laughs> and I thought there's something right there. Maybe I'm presenting myself to the world as two together. And there's the humility of need. There's the humility of allowing others to serve me, allowing others to enter into my world as I enter into theirs. Maybe that's how we become multipliers, like Jesus was a multiplier of himself. It changed who he was looking for. It changed where he went. It changed how he ate I mean, look at this. <laughs> There's a revival going on over there. It changed how he ate. I mean, notice so much of Jesus' ministry was done over food. He says to Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. I need to eat at your house this week. So much of Jesus' ministry was done over food. I'd not seen this before. Uh, Caesar Kalinowski is a brilliant thinker on this subject. He said three times Jesus says why he's come. Luke 19, we just read it, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Matthew 20, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. Matthew 11, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. <laughs> the first two are his purpose. He's looking for lost people. He's looking to save. The third is his method. I'm going to eat with them. <laughs> I am going to eat with them. So much so they called him a glutton and a drunkard. Not that he ever got drunk. But they called him because he was hanging around with people who loved food and who loved drinking. Anyone here ever been accused of hanging around with people who love food? All right, don't put your hand up. But the reality is, the reality is, so much missional intention can, be, can happen over food. It's where people open their hearts to one another. It's where people take time together. We have 21 opportunities in the week, if you're eating three meals a day, to reach and to disciple and to change the world around you just by stopping over food. And if we're follow, to follow the Jesus way, that's exactly what he did. I have a problem. Just the one? No, several. But one is this. I eat really quickly. I mean, like, insanely quickly. And so I remember growing up, and my dad used to kick us under the table, particularly me, because when we'd have guests over, it was embarrassing because I was just, like, hammering through the food. The problem is I've got a whole family now that eats really quickly. <laughs> 
And so I've discipled them all in speed eating. So much so that pretty much every time we have guests over, we have to apologize for eating. I mean, we had one guy. I mean, I mean, he was extreme, though. He was so slow. I mean, I would watch his fork go up to his mouth, and he'd be like, and then he'd think of another story, and it would go down again. And then the fork would go up, and I was like, I can't cut this any thinner. I mean, pass me a scalpel. I cannot cut this any thinner. It's like my meat was like, you know, you can only cut it so many times. It's like, in the end, I've got like a little carrot that I'm trying... I cannot finish before him. And we had all finished. He had not, seriously, he had not taken a single mouthful. I was like, I think we've got a problem here. But Jesus was submitted to being sent so much that even the way he ate and who he ate with was brought under this agenda. He'd submitted everything about his life. He was even being willing to be called a glutton and a drunkard for the sake of reaching the lost. If we're submitted to be being sent, then for you it's probably, you probably aren't a fast eater like me, but for you, the question is, what is it in my life that needs to come under that submission? <laughs> if it's affecting my ability to make disciples to reach a lost world, what is it in my life that needs to come under that submission? What is it that, that I need to say it's a good thing, it's not a bad thing, but actually it needs to go because I need to submit? What is it about it? Because imagine a community that starts to slow down and eat together and share together and invite other people in into those relationships. One of the things we're, we're going to do this term is we're going to have a box of questions to ask over dinner so that we just got a box and someone's going to pick a random question out of the box just to ask questions, just to slow the whole thing down. And I'll be the one. You can ask me about it. Hold me accountable. There you go. Hold me accountable. Simon, how fast are you eating? Because it's a key question for us as a family and for me. And lastly, the, qu- the thing that Jesus did, he submits what he did. He submits what he did. He is ready for for extending the kingdom wherever he goes. So with Zacchaeus, as I said in the story, he gives a word of knowledge about the guy's name. And he calls Zacchaeus by name out of the tree. That's got to change your world right then, where Jesus calls you out by name. Uh, We had a a lovely story over the summer as a family. As I said, we're trying to do this more intently. And um, we were, uh, this is going to undo my last point, but we were at dinner and the waiter was just so smiley and happy. And I just thought, there's something of God on this guy. But I had to leave early. Now, seriously, I really did have to leave early. So I had to leave early. So I said to Caroline, and uh, I said, there's something of God on that guy. And she said, I agree, there's something about him. And so um, I said, see if you can get anything with the kids. So she and the kids just began to pray. And uh, one of our sons had a word about that he was, he was in a storm in a boat. And that it really affected him. And I think two others had something about a back. Anyway, through one thing or another, they got an opportunity to talk to him. And Caroline said, have you been in a storm? He said, no, but my friend was recently in a storm in a boat and he nearly died. It was like real shocking. So we knew that God was speaking and they got an opportunity to pray for his back. But there's that ability, isn't there, to stop and not live by this, but live by this and say, God, I sense something here. I don't know quite what it is, but there's something of the spirit here. Maybe this is a person of peace that you want to touch today. But, but maybe it's even simpler than that. You know, I doubt any of us will meet someone who's never, given a na- who's never been given a name. But I bet all of us, pretty much every day, meet people who've never been named. They've never been called out. They've had no one say, this is who you are. I believe in you. 
And they'll probably either work for you or work with you or you work for them. But there's a namelessness about them. <laughs> they've never had that fathering, that parental, this is who you are. Perhaps they've even had the opposite. You're a loser. You're hopeless. You'll never make anything of your life. All of that stuff has been named on them. And they are looking for someone who will just call them who they are. Notice what Jesus says about Zacchaeus. All the others are saying he's the chief of sinners. He's a loser. He's robbed from us. And Jesus says, this true son of Abraham. He sees who he is and he calls him by name. He, he recognizes that Zacchaeus was always a true son of Abraham. He was just lost. He was just lost and he was stealing because he was lost. He was, a, he was a, an outcast from his society because he was just lost. Actually, he was called to be a leader in his community, but he was just lost. And if he could re-plug his identity into the Father, if he could be reconnected to the Father, then he would not just change Zacchaeus' life, but actually change the world around him, which is exactly what happened. He gave back to people he'd robbed from. He changed through generosity a whole community. In fact, there's some talk that Zacchaeus was renamed Matthias later and that he was the 12th disciple that was replaced Judas. We don't know if that's true or not. But if it is true, that's a really sweet story. <laughs> There's a guy here whose life gets changed, and it gets changed just by meeting Jesus and being in his presence. Have you, have I, submitted to being sent? And as we go into this term, are you going back to work? Are you going to school? Or has dad sent you? With the authority, with the significance that that puts in your heart. Are you willing to stop living by this so much and start living by this? What does that look like for you? What in, in your life, what in my life needs to come under that submission so that we together can change the world around us? Imagine the difference in our workplaces as we go and approach this term. Think of if each of us just found two people of peace and began to bless them and share with them and allow them to help us and we help them. The difference it would make in our world and our community. We are building churches that look like this.